Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. Call or text Carl now at 512-836-0590. Now, here's Carl. Good afternoon and welcome to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. This is Money Talk soon to celebrate our 29th anniversary here on News Radio KLBJ. Our broadcast is about the world of financial and investment planning. Will you always determine our agenda by calling or texting 512-836-0590. You may listen online right now at newsradioklbj.com or go there at your convenience and download podcasts of previous broadcasts. You can listen this Thursday after the news at 6 to a rebroadcast of today's show. And you can also download the free app SoundCloud and listen to our previous broadcasts as well. It's always a great idea to call or text at the beginning of the hour. Give me ample time to do my best to answer your questions. I take today's calls first, then today's texts, and then previous texts. 512-836-0590. Susie, you're on the air. How may I help? I have a question about the Medicare IRMA. I sold a piece of investment real estate this yes. past year, yes. um, so it doesn't affect my IRMA for this current year, yes. but it will bump me up to the absolute max next year for 2025. Yes. yes. And um, I had heard that there was some kind of a one-year pass that you could get when something suddenly bumped your income up like a 30 uh, piece of real estate that I'd had for 30 years, which, of course, increased enormously in value. And I called the Social Security, and they sent me an SSA 44 form, which specifically exempts a sale of property for profit. Um, Is there another form? Is there some way to get around that huge IRMA, which will actually be more than I receive in Social Security, and then what? They expect me to send them a check? (laughs) They're not going to expect you to send them a check, but I actually had this come up in a previous broadcast, and one of our listeners, uh, Bob, in Arlington, Texas, sent me this. It says that Social Security considers any of the following situations to be a life-changing event. The death of a spouse, marriage, divorce or annulment, you or your spouse stopping work or reducing the numbers of hours you work, involuntary loss of income-producing property due to a natural disaster, disease, fraud, or other circumstances, loss of pension, and receipt of a settlement payment from a current or former employer due to the employer's closure or bankruptcy. So his view is that the likelihood of you getting the one-year exemption is somewhere approaching zero. It's unlikely based on his, uh, his homework. So I'm so, just plain screwed, huh? I think you are. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's well put. That's a highly scientific term, Susie, and you're absolutely right. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> well, <laughs> sorry to hear that. I'm, I'm sure you are. <laughs> you have a wonderful program. I uh, listen to it religiously, uh, and it's got a lot of good tips. Oh, terrific. Thanks for calling and thanks for the compliment. You're listening to Money Talk 
on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Here's a text. Hi, Carl. I inherited IRA assets from my deceased father, who was 89 years old at the time of his passing. I'm retired and 67 years old. Am I subject to the 10-year withdrawal schedule? And if so, do I have to take a required minimum distribution in the year I receive the inheritance? So here's my understanding. You are subject to the 10-year rule, but you do not have to take it in the, in the year of the inheritance. My understanding of the 10-year rule is that the, that the beneficiary IRA, which is what you have, must be fully empty, if you will, fully withdrawn by the end of the 10th year. So there's some flexible, I would say actually quite a bit of flexibility. You're 67 and you're retired, so you have probably a terrific, uh, a complete understanding of your annual income. And therefore, you can take money out of that IRA in such a fashion as to not thrust you into a significantly higher income tax bracket. So you've got 10 years to do this. Uh, If you're single or married filing jointly, just Google the tax tables. Uh, Generally speaking, uh, they go, the marginal bracket goes from 15 to 22 to 24 to 32%. And if you're already in the 22% bracket, then going to the 24 is not a big deal but you do want to avoid going from the 24 to the 32% bracket, and you have 10 years to accomplish that. So good luck. Thanks for the text. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Bob, you're on the air. How may I help? Hi, Carl. Hi. Um, I'm looking at some American funds, um, returns, uh-huh. uh, and comparing the short-term bond funds with their uh, just their money market fund. Yes. And it's talking about that the yield is higher on the money market fund. Yes. So is, is that simple? Is, is that being a better choice? Probably not. Um, we're in this unusual circumstance where very short-term interest rates are higher than other intermediate term rates, but that's not going to last. So right now, uh, money market funds pay in excess of 5% because what they're investing in matures in a year or less, and they're paying above 5%, whether they're government funds or they're prime funds. But based on history and, frankly, based on the commentary from Fed Chairman Fed Chairman Powell, they're likely finished raising rates, and they anticipate, unless there's a big inflationary shock, beginning to reduce rates later this year. And if they do that, as the short-term securities that money market funds hold roll off or mature, and the money is reinvested, it'll be reinvested at lower yielding securities. So this is one of those wonderful times to be in cash. It's been a long time since that's been the case. But I've looked at a lot of data, and the return on bond funds, particularly on intermediate-term core bond funds, that's, a, that's kind of a core bond's kind of a Morningstar category, investment-grade 
probably five to seven year maturity. One in three years after the peak in short-term rates in Fed policy, you really end up with very attractive returns. So if I were in your shoes, unless I was going to spend the money, I'd go to that short-term or intermediate bond term fund of America since you're already in American funds. There's no reason to go to a high-yield fund. I don't think high yield's attractive right now anyway, but extending maturities right now, in my opinion, Bob, is exactly what you ought to do. Great, Carl. I sure appreciate the help. Thank you. You bet. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. It's time for me to take a break. We're off to a terrific start. If you have a question, call or text 512-836-0590. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. I'm Carl Stewart. Thanks for listening. We're here this afternoon till 5. And when you have a financial or investment planning question, call or text 512-836-0590. Here's a text. Carl, thanks for all the help you give your listeners each week. You're welcome. Are you familiar with the Jackson Market Link Pro 2 registered index linked annuity, RILA? If so, what are your thoughts on this type of investment? I'm not familiar with that specific investment. The fact that it says Jackson probably means that it's put out by Jackson Life. So it is a life insurance product and that it's linked to a specific index probably tells me that it is an indexed annuity that follows the standard and poor 500 or the Dow Jones industrial average. The fact that it says registered, that, that word I'm not in, within the, registered means one thing in securities law, but I don't know what it means in terms of um, insurance law. So if it's an index-linked annuity, then I would say to you that based on my experience, the argument for owning this is that it has uh, it, it is a derivative-based strategy that provides when you purchase it the benefit of avoiding large losses or large drawdowns when the specific index, let's just say for fun that it's the S&P 500, and also allows you to participate in some of the appreciation in good years. However, if you go back and study, if, if it's a stock market-linked index, if you go back and study the stock market, what you, what you quickly see is what we've seen the last three years, and that is the stock market over shorter periods of time is an extremely volatile phenomenon. So you have very bad year, like 2022, where the NASDAQ was down 33%. I'm picking that one on purpose to make my point. Followed by a year like 2023, where it was up 40-some percent. And in the indexed annuities that follow stock indexes that I've seen, the price you pay is by knocking off that low 
you also knock off the high, over time you're likely to have poorer performance than if you just own the index per se, okay? The second thing is that if it's an index and you own, a lot of people would own an annuity because of the tax benefits, which would be you put the money in the index-linked annuity, and unless you take the money out, if it's after-tax money, unless you take it out uh, before you're 59 and a half, you don't have to pay any taxes. And when you take it out, you only pay taxes on the gain. Now, if it's in an IRA, that's a whole different situation. But if you own the same index uh, without those buffers, if you will, without those derivatives, and you owned it in an exchange-traded fund, the costs are extremely low, and there would be little or no capital gains during the holding period. And if you chose to sell it, only the portion of the growth in value would be a subject to capital gains tax, which would be significantly less than your income tax bracket. The index-like annuity is a relatively expensive asset class or investment because the insurance company needs to make money, <clears throat> your agent needs to make money, and so you're loading it up with additional fees, and you're also, in my opinion, by taking out the downside, you're also giving up the upside. So if this is, in fact, an index-linked annuity, as you say, I'm not a big fan. Thanks for the text. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Looks like I've got another text here. Let's just see here. The Irma, well, this goes back to the lady with the big property sale, relates to Medicare. Of course it does. Irma is what happens is if your income's higher, then your Medicare tax is higher, and that's automatically reduced from your Social Security. And so that's what she was talking about. Could they possibly be such a big hit to her Medicare premium that she'd have to pay? And the answer is no. That's not my experience. This person had a one-time jump in income. And he or she said, once you get the big Medicare increase, then you file an appeal with Medicare and not Social Security. That's good to know. Medicare determines whether to increase the pre or your premium, and that goes with what I said earlier. So thanks for that. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Here is another one. Hi, Carl. Love your program. Thank you. Can I use money from an IRA to purchase real estate without penalty? The answer is a qualified yes. And that is you have to find a custodian which will allow you to purchase real estate directly rather than on Wall Street through, say, a real estate investment trust. And so there are custodians this that that's their business. So they like to call themselves self-directed IRAs. I, I'm, I kind of object to that because your IRA at Vanguard or Schwab or with your advisor self-directed or your advisor directed. But nevertheless, you can make investments in illiquid private investments. Uh, you can, it might be corporate investments, might be limited partnerships, and you can use money. If you, what you would do is you would find this, this custodian, that's the proper term, not trustee, you'd find a custodian, and then you, if you have money in your or IRA, 
you would transfer the money from the IRA that you have that does not allow that over to the uh, this IRA that allows you to buy the property. Now, you have to keep in mind the property is an illiquid asset, and depending on your age, you are subject to a required minimum distribution. So if you had a situation where you needed to have a required minimum distribution and you didn't have money from the property, that would be a very bad deal. So the answer is yes, there are people that do that. There are companies that do that. I should do that, I should say. And what I would do if I were in your shoes is I would do a, uh, a Google search and see what I came up with. And then what I would do is be interview a few of those and see what their charges are. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Here's a text. Carl, we have 8% of our portfolio in CDs. Can we consider this part of the bond portion? I would say no. And here's the reason why. CDs are not a total return investment. CDs have no change in the nominal value of the CD whereas bonds are a total return investment and you have both the ability and the reward and the risk of fluctuating value. So let's assume history repeats itself, perhaps a little of a scary thing, and let's assume that the Federal Reserve has stopped raising interest rates. If you have money in CDs and interest rates go down over the next two years, There'll be no difference in the value of your CD. You'll simply get the interest income. If, on the other hand, you had a core bond fund, you would have a better return, theoretically, because as interest rates dropped, the value of the bonds would appreciate. So I tend to think of CDs more like cash, like a money market fund, because a money market fund has no change in nominal value, and you get interest. The only difference is that you have daily liquidity with the money market fund. And of course, the return on the money market fund from a cash yield standpoint is determined by short-term interest rates. So as I said earlier with another text person, that yes, if rates go down as I anticipate that they will, it doesn't because I see the future, I'm just listening to what Fred Chairman Powell is saying, money market returns will decline over the next 12 to 24 months. See, the new CD rates should also decline because they're tied to shorter-term interest rates, and bond returns ought to go up. So I'm not suggesting you shouldn't own CDs because I don't know your personal situation, but I would not consider them bonds because they're not <clears throat> total return investments. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Let's see here. I think I may have another text. Okay. This is another thing about Irma, our girlfriend Irma. In my opinion, Carl, the life-changing event usually means you are now in the lower bracket and are appealing. I do think you are stuck if you happen to hit the higher income brackets. You may have to appeal to get it back down in the following year. And that's from Bob in Arlington, who also sent me the information that I read to our caller. So I think when you have a big sale, that if, remember, if it's your home, 
that if you're single, the first 250000 and if you're married, the first $500,000 of gain is not subject to tax. But if in the case of this person who, who called, Susie, it was an investment property, you're subject to capital gains. Up, oh, I see it's at the bottom of the hour. It's a great time right now. I don't have any new texts or callers. A great time to call or text, 512-836-0590. Stick around for the second half of Money Talk. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ. 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here this afternoon until 5. We had a great first half hour. Right now, we have all of our lines available and no new texts. What should you do? Well, call or text. 512-836-0590. Also, you may listen online at newsradioklbj.com or go there at your convenience and download previous broadcasts. This Thursday, after the news at 6, we will rebroadcast today's show, and you can also download the free app SoundCloud and pick up those previous broadcasts as well. 512-836-0590. Well, the Securities and Exchange Commission finally did it. They authorized exchange-traded funds for Bitcoin. Based on what I've read, they really didn't want to do this, uh, but because they lost a court case, uh, they had to proceed. And it was a, It was not a unanimous vote. And it's been very interesting, the immediate reaction. Uh, One is uh, a fight to get the lowest operating expenses. BlackRock, which is, I believe, with over $10 trillion of assets under management, is the largest asset manager in the world, and they own the iShares uh, franchise. And they came out with a... uh, ETF for this uh, for Bitcoin called IBIT, I-B-I-T. Uh, Fidelity came out with one called Wise Origin Bitcoin Fund. And Kathy Wood's ARC came out with one called 21 Share Bitcoin. Uh, I think this is interesting. Uh, I, I, would, would I jump on it right now? The answer is no. Uh, this won't surprise regular listeners since I'm so conservative about these things. But... Um, it, first of all, it's an extremely volatile asset. We know that. Uh, also, uh, it's not out of the legal woods yet, uh, and there's going to be some pressure on the big uh, broker-dealers like uh, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, or UBS, or Wells Fargo to do their due diligence before they allow their advisors to uh, buy and sell uh, buy and sell the uh, ETF. So I, if you're uh, a speculative person and you want to play the game, the good news is you will have uh, daily liquidity and you'll also have low expenses. I read that the expense on the uh, iShare one is 25 basis points, which is the same as their iShares uh, gold fund, IAU. So that's good news. 
and not being an institutional investor who's trying to buy and sell tens of millions of dollars, you probably don't have to worry about liquidity. But, you know, I again, I just don't think that there's a, a rush to get into that. We'll just, I'll take a wait and see and let it develop. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. If you're a regular listener, you know that I get a monthly update on the Austin real estate market, the Austin real estate market snapshot, and I have it for December. Now, you may not live in Austin, but if you live in Texas, this may be interesting to you as well, and I know that we have listeners who have an ongoing interest in real estate. So I'm just going to go through this, and of course, if you call or text 512-836-0590, I will interrupt myself and go with you. So the median sales price in Austin was $425,000. That's a decline of 9% on a year-over-year basis. The total number of homes sold was 2003, just about the same as last year, down 2% year-over-year. The median days on the market, this is probably significant, and if you live around here, you can drive around and see see this actually happening. The median days on the market was 68 days on the market, and that's up 13%. That's significant year-over-year. The supply of inventory is five months, about flat, down 2% year-over-year. The number of homes sold above list price, that would be 12% of homes were sold above list price, that ranked as 8% less than last year. And the new listings, 2,369, was down 17% from last month. Well, I'm not a real estate agent, but that may just be a seasonal factor. And then the median price per square foot, which I think is arguably the, the most significant, not the median price per sales price, but the price per sales foot. The median price per square foot was $221, and that's down 6% on a year-over-year basis. So the softening of the market continues. Uh, that's after a huge run-up, of course. Uh, and you also have to think about the fact that uh, interest rates are substantially higher for mortgages. So I was hearing, I was listening to uh, a broadcast recently that said that uh, a couple with $100,000 of annual income uh, could, when rates were at a low, buy a home, a $400,000 home, and now they can buy a $300,000 home. So obviously that makes a huge difference as well. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. I'm just going to keep bloviating until you call or text. I got I started on this last week, but then we had calls and texts, and so I didn't I didn't go through it all. I wrote down uh, what I think of as six uh, New Year's resolutions. Uh, in terms of investment and financial planning. And the first one is to have realistic investment return expectations. So what do I mean by that? I think that it's easy when you have a strong period, like a strong period for real estate or a strong period in returns for stocks, to think that that is the way it's going to be. 
I mean, I'll never forget 1995 through 1999 when we had over 20% per year in S&P 500 returns. And people would say, well, conservatively, you can make 10 to 12% a year. Look at what we've been doing. And then we had the dot-com bust, and it took the NASDAQ 15 years to come back to its valuation in March of 2000. So I think when you, and this really matters because if you're thinking about your retirement planning, you're looking at your 401k and you're looking at that asset allocation and you're saying, what's a reasonable compounding that I can use to think about how much money I'm going to have in the future? Because when you back that out, you say, how much money do I need to put aside to get there? I was recently visiting with my colleague, Lindsay, and we were doing some videos, and she did, in one of her videos, she said that uh, when you evaluate the people who are 401k millionaires, people who have a million dollars or more in their 401k, that they had uh, contributed, <coughs> excuse me, 10 to 15% of their taxable income. That's a big deal. But that growth if you say, I'm going to make growth at 10% or 11% or 12%, frankly, I think that's, that's too high. I'd rather be on the short side, the low end, and then be surprised on the positive side. Because the worst thing that can happen is that you retire at a time when we have a sharp drawdown or decline in the financial markets like we had in 2022 at the same time you're taking money out. 512-836-0590. Here is a text. <clears throat> okay. It says, My tax forms from the CPA asked for a 1099 information. Question mark. Well, 1099s are forms that you get from your custodian or your broker-dealer or your bank, any place that you have money that's not in a tax-deferred environment, not in a 401k or an IRA, from dividends, interest, or realized capital gains, and your CPA needs to have that before she can calculate your 2023 taxes. In my experience, most of those come in late January or early February. There are some cases specifically in the what I would call the designation of certain types of dividends of certain mutual funds where the 1099 can be delayed. And sadly, the pressure to get these out on a timely basis has periodically over the years resulted in having received a second correcting 1099. And if you've already paid your CPA and had your taxes prepared, that is a very unpleasant experience. So your CPA has every incentive to have you get those 1099s as soon as possible so that she can get started on preparing your taxes. Well, I'm going to tell you what you tell your CPA. Get over it because there's nothing you can do. You can't make the Bank of America or J.P. Morgan or Schwab or Fidelity Get you, a, get you a 1099 any sooner than anybody else. So you're going to have to have the 1099, but you're going to have to be patient. Well, time for me to take a break. We're down to our last quarter hour. 
Great time for you to call or text or to sit back and listen to the next 15 minutes of Bloviation. Now, that's exciting. Stick around. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here for another, what's that, 12 minutes. Call or text 512-836-0590. Lee, you're on the air. How may I help? Yes, I uh, just turned on the radio about 10 minutes ago. I started hearing you talk. And, uh, yes, sir. First time I've heard you or heard anything. Of this. But my question is, I'm 59 years old. I'm debt-free. I paid for my dollars, $2 college. Good. And I'm getting my I'm not, my 401k. Last time I checked, it was six hundred and fifty thousand. Yes. My question to you: What I'm going to retire about three to five years. What's what's my game plan should be? Okay. So when you retire, you're going to have two potential streams of retirement income. One is Social Security, but you may you probably ought to wait for that because you're only fifty nine. You say you're fifty nine, Lee. Yeah, another thing too. I have a pension plan, so I'm 59, and I'm gonna. I can retire now, but I'm gonna retire maybe three to five years from now. Okay, that what you just said is really, really important. So you have both a pension and a 401k. Is that correct? That's correct. And uh, when you look at your pension benefit that they tell you, and you look at. Uh, so I guess the way I want to ask you is, is a really, really good thing is you're debt-free. That's terrific. Will there be, once you get your pension, will you need additional income to live on in addition to the pension income? Uh, no. Okay, that's fantastic. You are in a great shape. Here's what I would do. First thing I would do is I would find out if my employer... 401k offered a Roth, R-O-T-H, Roth 401k option. And here's they the, they do. they do. Okay. You want to start yeah. st- at starting on the for next week, change your contribution from the pre-tax contribution to the Roth 401k. And here's the reason why you're in a wonderful financial position, but what's going to happen is that your big issue will be uh, taxes because that money, when it comes out of your 401k, will be subject to income tax. Your pension will be subject to income tax. And ultimately, your Social Security benefit will be subject to income tax. If you put money over the next three years into that Roth 401k and then you retire and you, and you transfer that to a Roth IRA a Lee Roth IRA, you will have no required minimum distribution. You don't ever have to take the money out. And if you take it out, there's absolutely no income tax on it. Now, nothing's free. You will end up paying taxes on the money that goes in there. So in the next three years, your taxable income will rise because you're not getting the tax-deductible contribution to the 401k, but you're going to be so much happier knowing that that money is in the Roth IRA that it's growing 
that you never have to touch it. You can leave it to your two, if you're married to your spouse, if you're not married or you're, uh, to your two kids, they have 10, your spouse gets it, she can take it out over a lifetime or never take it out. If your kids get it, they have 10 years to take it out. Nobody pays any income tax on it. So in your situation, I'd bite the bullet on the taxes for the next three years, switch to a Roth 401k. You're in a perfect position to do that. You don't need liquidity. You have plenty of income. You got a pension. Ultimately, you're going to have two streams of guaranteed income, your pension, your social security, and eventually... You're going to have to take money out of that 401k. You're likely, when you retire, going to do a, what's called an IRA rollover, but I, I don't know that. Depends on the policies of your of what would then be your former employer. But the good news is that money's going to come out subject to tax, but the money in the Roth never has to come out, and if it does, no income tax. That is precisely what I would do if I were in your shoes. Okay, it, it, Roth IRA, but I got. No, no, not no, yeah. not no, not a Roth IRA, a Roth four hundred one k. Oh, Roth four hundred one k. Right. Okay. That's with your current Roth, employer. Four hundred one k. You Roth. go to your yes, Roth four hundred one k. Because right now you have a four hundred one k with six hundred thousand dollars. You want to yes, start sir. your your new, from now on every new contribution you want to go into the Roth four hundred one k, not the four hundred one k. Roth four hundred one. I'm writing it down. Okay. It, uh, one more thing. Sure. My, I am married, and I am given 25% of my paycheck to my 401k. Great. You keep doing the 25%, but do it to the Roth 401k, not the 401k. Okay. And then, I, I'm not, I, like I said, I know zero about this, but the thing is, is uh, I do extreme. Yes. And I'm all right with extreme. Yes. So is that the Roth? 401k, is that, do they do that kind of stuff to you? Yes, Roth 401k will be the thing for you to do. Okay. All right? Okay. Well, I'm glad I turned the radio on. I am too, and you be turning it on from now on, okay? Oh, yes, sir. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thanks for calling. <laughs> okay. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. That was fun. 512 here is a text. Carl, I am of the opinion that the Fed raising the interest rate was extremely inflationary. People aren't going to stop doing business any more than in the 70s and the 80s that the farmers could stop farming before losing their farms. Raising interest rates caused businesses to spend more to do business, and they pass those costs on to us customers while continuing to do business. Did we, the consumer, stop spending money? I don't think so. So I think we've reached our credit card. So I think we reached for our credit cards instead, and that's further inflationary to the point where the cards are full and we can't spend more but still owe, doing a lot of this, a long text, owe a high interest rate. Then it affects the economy and people go out of business, et cetera. Credit card companies, da, 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 they get taxed. Well, it, guess what? There's no question there. 512-836-0590. Randy, you're on the air. How may I help? Hello, this is your fanboy, Randy the Ditherer. <laughs> and I wonder uh, what you think the chances are of the rumors that I hear about uh, taxing unincomed income, uh, excuse me, unearned income. 
and uh, how that affects the IRAs and the yeah. 401ks, et cetera. Yeah. You, your turn. Thanks. Okay, here's what I've heard that I think you're referring to. There's talk, particularly in California, about not just taxing income, but also taxing assets. Okay, that's probably, when it comes to tax ideas, one of the very worst I've ever heard. It's stupid in the extreme. First of all, let's suppose that you have a, secu- uh, you have a brokerage account with Charles Schwab. Let's suppose it's $500,000 at the end of 2022. And let's further suppose that it was in an S&P index fund. At the end of 2023, it was worth almost $600,000. You didn't do anything. You didn't sell it. And they want to then charge you tax on the value of that. I don't think so. What, by the way, well, then what happens if it was $500,000 at the end of 2021 and it was $400,000 at the end of 2022? Are they going to write you a check, a refund, because your asset dropped? I don't think so. Furthermore, everybody who has direct investments in real estate or a business or farm or ranch land, how would they ever possibly know the change in value? It's, it's a stupid idea. It could never be enforced. That's what I think you're referring to. Unearned income, I don't know what that is. I know what appreciation is, and that dog simply will not hunt. That's my view. <laughs> All right, you're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Here we go. Let's see another text. I'm starting to run out of time if I can get this one. Let's see, down here. Carl, when that guy said he had $625,000 in a 401k, he was going to retire in a few years, I thought, poor guy, that's not going to work. Then I heard he had a pension and suddenly became, and I became invitation. But poor me, I'll never be able to retire. Okay. <laughs> Here's another one. Let's see. Okay. That, Carl, should the caller do a series of Roth conversions after retiring before taking Social Security? Frankly, that's a good idea. That's entirely possible that he could do that because he would go, if, if, particularly if he could stay in the same or the lower tax bracket, then he could do conversions as long as he didn't put himself into a higher tax bracket, build and pay the taxes and build up more and more money that wouldn't be subject to income tax and not subject to the required minimum distribution. So I actually think that that would be a good idea. We have uh, Myers on the phone. Sadly, though, we're down to the last minute, and I just don't want to take your call and ha- not have the time to answer it. I sure hope that you're listening next Saturday and that you can give me a call at that time. The one thing I would say <laughs> at the very end of the show, because I really like this one of my one of my New Year's resolutions, and that is plan on living a long time. What a great idea, and we'll talk perhaps next week about the distinction between life expectancy and longevity. A lot of fun this afternoon. I enjoyed the broadcast. I hope you did as well. I want to thank Garrett for doing his usual terrific job, and again, remind you next Saturday after the news at 4 to be sure and tune in to Money Talk. Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. 